Welcome back to the Unanimous Decision Podcast. I'm your host, D-Palm. Follow me on Twitter at dpalm 66 Follow the show on Twitter at UDPod. Follow the entire MTR network at, you guess it, the MTR network. Don't You found us. Don't you dare lose us. Subscribe on iTunes. Subscribe on Spotify. Subscribe everywhere. Podcasts are giving away for free. 99. It's your Monday flagship. It is a wonderful day to be a podcaster talking about sports because, man, oh, man, I'm recording this after a fantastic weekend of NBA playoff basketball. We're going to be talking about that. We're going to be talking about a little bit about WWE backlash from Puerto Rico, and uh, we're going to have a little fun while we're doing it. So let's get right into it. Playoff basketball is here. Playoff basketball has arrived. They say that a series does not start until the road team wins. Well, I guess this series hasn't started, but it's still been fun. Denver, Phoenix, I was half joking when I said Chris Paul was holding this team back. I was half joking. I I said it as an aside to my disgust for Mr. Paul's propensity for striking other men in the nether regions. A, A propensity that I believe is caught on largely because of him. When you see a player go down for being struck in the genitals, that's the Chris Paul special. Well... Once again, his body has betrayed him in the postseason. Not a knock on him individually, just when you're that size and that much of a point guard and that much of a focal part of an offense, it is hard to hold up, particularly in these later years, as we've seen literally exhibit Chris Paul. So for a lot of people, they said, oh, how are they going to manage this offense? How are they going to figure it out? In the last two games, Devin Booker's shot the ball 43 times. He's missed nine of those shots. Efficiency is great. Advanced metrics, I believe in numbers. But sometimes you've got Devin Booker and Kevin Durant. Sometimes, this is Devin Booker's playoff line this year. I'm just going to read the points. And then I'll go, <laughs> Jesus. 36, 47, 35, 27, 47, 30, 45, 38, 26. If you look at the field goals percentage splits in there, it's something absurd. He just not missing right now. And I don't know if it's sustainable. I don't know if it's a workable plan against these nuggets. I do know it's fun. I do know I'm enjoying every second of it. I do know that these last two games were a great reminder that Kevin Durant's still Kevin Durant. I'm like a lot of people. I saw the the the, the combination of factors when Kevin Durant trade happened to Phoenix. And I thought, well, that could be a great win or a huge mistake because they gutted a lot of that perimeter defense. They gutted a lot of that depth on that team to secure the services of Kevin Durant. And this is a great reminder that in the playoffs, it doesn't matter how deep your team is. You're only going to play seven or eight tops. Maybe the question I have right now in Phoenix. And I think it's a question of, they don't really have a choice. So they're, I mean, the answer is what it is. Those guys are playing a lot of minutes. The numbers, the the minutes per game for Kevin and and Booker were big and like worrisome before they lost Chris Paul. Kevin Durant, he of questionable integrity of his Achilles, clocked in for 44 minutes Sunday. I don't know if it's sustainable. I do know if he and Booker are both going for 36, 
that, you know, you, you think your lucky stars should keep it moving. But the bigger thing for me in Denver was the bench production, something that had been a real strength of the team. They put up 11. And in doing so, they wasted a 50-10 from, from Joker. 53-11 and, and, and 11 assists. What more can you really ask for out of a two-time two -time MVP? Jamal Murray, 28 points. Once again, reestablishing himself in that same kind of form he played in when he was in the bubble, having a great postseason. The rest of the starters in double digits. When you talk about the fourth best player on the Nuggets team, it's wild that you think of Aaron Gordon, who was the number five pick in his draft. But it's true, he dropped 11. I just don't see this bench continuing to fold because, and we've seen him with Durant in the past, He's, they're going to run out of gas. Like it's, You can only redline a team so long. I think you could ride Booker longer because he's younger. But this Durant thing, I am, uh, I'm watching someone push a car real fast on wobbly wheels. I don't know how I feel about it. Um, Matt Ishba. Ishbia? I don't care what your name is. You may be a billionaire. You might own the Suns. You might be the cool owner du jour right now because... You moved mountains, you undercut the heat, and you got the services of one Kevin Durant. You might even be so much of an asshole that if you were to Google his name and his mortgage company, you'd have a, a lot of results on how poorly he treats his employees. I wouldn't advise shoving Jokic. There's certain things I don't joke about on podcasts, on the internet, not even in person if you catch me. There's that one dude who one time allegedly played for the Colts, whose name I can't seem to remember, who has a son by the same name I can't remember who plays at Ohio State. And then there's the Jokic, the lineage. Google Jokic. Google, ask about Jokic's family members and what happens when people run up on him sideways. Your billions don't have that much they can't protect you. Like, these are big, scary men. And I just, I wouldn't go flopping on Jokic. And if they suspend nobody, at the time of recording, I hadn't been suspended. People are going to say, oh, they suspended Draymond. I refer back to that podcast we recorded with Cam from The Ringer. If you step on my chest, it might be time for gunplay. But if you flop when I'm trying to do my job, Come on, baby. I don't care if he's a billionaire owner. This is not that. Can't be no suspension. All right. The other game on Sunday, Sixers, Celtics. Y'all going to stop telling me how good and smart and impressive this coach is for Boston. I'm about tired of hearing it. This is the same coach who, after last game, was feeling himself a little bit, came up and said, who wants to question my late-game decision-making now? Joe Mazzulla was feeling himself after picking up that 114-102 win. But come Sunday, when your series comes down to an 18-seconds possession, where somehow this offense, one, doesn't call a timeout, and two, results in a shot that goes in, but's released after the buzzer. 
it'd be unfair not to ask Joe Missoula, what's going on, baby? Where's this press conference? Can we ask questions now, Joe Missoula? You're the assistant who got elevated due to Ime's inability to keep it appropriate in the workplace. You inherited a team that went to the finals, Joe. And that's what's happened? I don't want to say that's what's drawn up because it doesn't feel like this team runs plays. And I thought last year was an aberration because last year, famously, this was the most talented team in the playoffs. And famously, they lacked that. I don't want to say killer instinct because I feel so reductive and I feel like I'm feeding this some like fake ass tough guy narrative, but they lacked the, the requisite seriousness to close out teams and games. You saw it in round one with Atlanta. Trey Young shouldn't have been able to do that to you in Boston. No. I'm a Hawks fan. Bad Celtics. And your inability to continue things and take things seriously here have cost a winnable game in Philadelphia. Embiid, yes, the numbers look good for him. He's hurt. You can see it. He is laboring. James Harden, eh, showed up when he had to. He had a great game on Sunday. Don't know how sustainable that is. And you let it get away from you. In, in regulation, let it get away. Look, Marcus Smart's a very nice young man. Should he be taking that shot? I don't know. I don't know. Shouldn't it be Jason Tatum? Shouldn't it be Jason Tatum who on the drive in overtime could have stopped 10 feet out and popped the mid-range? Think Matt had Maxi on them. They're both 6'10". He was shooting over Maxi all night. Why change? Why take the extra dribble, try to draw Embiid and kick that pass out? You were losing by one. Give, your chance to give yourself a shot. 18 seconds is an eternity. That's got to be two shots. Deeply unserious. And now when I think about it, as I'm saying it out loud, I I got to ask, is it Joe Missoula's fault? Because he's the same young men who wouldn't listen to email, or maybe wants to, who displayed the same unserious tendencies under Ime Udoka. This isn't a new thing for them. So I don't know. Maybe I'm giving... The idea of coach as, a, as, a, as, a, as someone they listen to too much credit. Maybe this Celtics team, if you look at it, it's a little weirdly built. A lot of personalities don't necessarily fit together in your mind, but they've been made, able to make things happen because they're so talented. Maybe it's them that doesn't want to listen. I don't know. I'll tell you this right now. Down that stretch and in overtime, there was one place that this team turned to, the Sixers that is, that should be empowering for everyone involved. Because yes, the reigning MVP does play in Philadelphia. The reigning, reigning MVP is beat up. Al Horford out here blocking shots in the fourth quarter. On Embiid, he's hurt. But when James Harden can dip back in that bag and say, oh, I got 42 for you if you really need it. I got a floater at the end of regulation if you really need it. When you've got the playoff tested medal of P.J. Tucker, Crashing the boards in overtime. It's got to empower those guys. It's got to say, hey, 
if James can go for 42, then they've got to respect him more. They've got to, it's going to open up that two-man game with Embiid that was so deadly all season. He had nine assists James Harden did on 40, 42 points on Sunday. That's fantastic. He led the league in assists this year. This is someone who can do that. And he can also mix in that uh, Houston James Harden we all said we hated. 42 sounds pretty good when you need it in a game that could have sent you down 3-1. Sounds like a good thing that worked out there. Monday night, we've got two games. we got the Knicks at the Heat. Hey, man. If Jimmy Butler plays Heat in five, it's a gentleman sweep cooking. Because I don't personally see the Knicks that can beat Jimmy Butler. Awesome. You put together any two Knicks, throw them together, throw them in a blender, give me one super Nick. That player is not better than playoff Jimmy. Playoff Jimmy, let the Knicks get that one in the garden. He smiled, he clapped, he he helped him, he applauded. They won by six in the garden without Jimmy Butler. And then what happened Saturday? Doors blown off, 19 point victory, wasn't even that close. But AppleCare told me that Jalen Brunson was that dude. I thought Julius Randle was the future. R.J. Barrett cocking in at a stunning minus 32 for the game. No need to rewind. No need to dial in your podcast dials. That's like a super dated reference. Like Most people aren't listening to this in like a car. Like a radio is... I'm old. Anyway... I'm old enough to remember when the Knicks were good. It was one season after a strike, ever. The rest of my life, they've been cheeks. Cheeks, I tell you. The 90s mythologizing. You got Kaz on his podcast talking about just seeing John Starks and Carmelo Anthony in the garden. It was a, it's a great season for the Knicks. Combined, those two motherfuckers have zero titles. Zero. Name your favorite Nick over the last 20 years. Hasn't won a goddamn thing. We celebrate him because it's the Mecca. And I'll be honest, seeing those games and seeing how excited they are for this bad basketball team, Bomani puts it best. It's like watching a game with 20,000 people who all have money on the game. And yes, part of this is me being exposed to Knicks fans for too much of my life. Part of it is the fact that every time they win, the obnoxious meter goes up to 1,000. But a lot of it, a lot of it is Tibbs. Look, everyone's telling you how good Tibbs has done with this team and this roster. It can't, he can't do well with this roster and also have stars in the roster. It can't be both. Sorry. My big criticism with Tibbs since he was coaching in Chicago with Derrick Rose the first time, was that he did not understand the difference between the regular season and the playoffs. He thought if he redlined his team, he could maximize his team in the regular season, which is true. He does that. 47 wins out of this moribund roster probably shouldn't have happened. But there's nowhere to go in the playoffs. You've seen the best of every one of these players because, by God, Tibbs' practice schedule and the repetition, he was able to foster the best result out of his players for 82 games. Cool. 
That's super dope. But in the postseason, you play first to 16. And you don't have any gas left. And there are no tricks left up that sleeve. Meanwhile, in Miami, Jimmy Butler not only is able to elevate his game in the playoffs, he drags the rest of these sorry motherfuckers with him, man. Bam Adebayo playing defense. And part of that's because the Knicks, look, look at the Knicks front line. There isn't a front line. Mitchell Robinson? Julius Randle, who went 0 for 5 from 3 on Saturday? Not a threat. So yeah, maybe Bam should be cleaning up inside. Maybe I shouldn't be as surprised as I sound, but I am. Tibbs is crazy. He's a psychopath. But Jimmy's way fucking crazier. In the last game, last series to talk about, the game that on Monday night will be the reason why my Tuesday starts slow, we've got Lakers, we've got Warriors, games in L.A., doesn't tip till 10 p.m. Eastern on TNT. But it sounds like we're going to have a clash of Titans. The two Titans being the Warriors' inability to win on the road this whole entire season. Not an overblown storyline, not something you think you heard, not something that has gone too far. The Warriors this year, excuse me, let me I want to pull up the actual line, the record here. It's important you understand what's happened here. That this is a team that does not play well on the road. They are 11 and 30 this season on the road. 11 and 30. That's absurd. We've got that on one side. On the other side, Anthony Davis played great on Saturday, which means here comes 11 point Anthony Davis. I've never seen anything like it. I've seen teams. Show up and then not show up and show up and not show up. I haven't seen one player be the be so dominant versus so invisible on a game-to-game basis to the point where we can predict it. I'm recording this before the game. I if I'm wrong, I'll I'll be happy as hell and the Lakers will win this thing in five. But if I'm right, it's the other stretch. Because this is the other thing unique about this Lakers team. LeBron James is not the best or most important player. Every other year he's played in the NBA, probably every other year in his life, he's been both on every team he's played on. Even in the bubble when they won that ring, yes, the AD shooting experience was unheard of and hasn't happened since. Yes, they played lights out defense, the likes of which haven't been seen in the league since. Yes, it helped that LeBron James's old ass wasn't climbing on a plane every two days. But the, the, the finals MVP, the best player on that team, the one who went toe-to-toe with Jimmy Butler, and then Jimmy blinked, that was LeBron James. And now here in year 20, this is something I, I'd always joke with my friends about, that this was going to be the final evolution of LeBron James. It was living at that high post, dealing out passes in, in a way that you see Jokic do on a very regular basis now. I thought that was going to be his career 
for the last five. And really we're seeing the transition point now. He's able, because of the gravity he still commands in the offense, he's able to free things up for Austin Reeves, for D'Lo, who is having a superlative postseason. You're able to allow... the team to complement LeBron better and kind of react to how he's seeing things on the floor. And I think it's almost a more dangerous version of LeBron James. Um, you look at the the Warriors winning game two, a lot of that was big threes. A lot of that was Clay Thompson go having a Clay Thompson game. Got to win that game. But, like, I'm not going to point any fingers at anyone, like, in particular. What I am going to do is pull up Jordan Poole's splits. Because on Saturday, good Lord, he finished two for nine from the floor, one for two for free throws, 0 for four for three, and scored five points. Let's dig a little deeper. Game three, Blake Warriors win by, win by 27. 16 minutes, zero from the three, six points. He had a pretty good game in the loss. Jordan Poole did. 21 in the loss. Let's go back to Sacramento. Maybe it's just a, a Lakers thing. Game, game seven against Sacramento. Eight points. Game six against Sacramento. Seven points. Y'all know about Jordan Poole's contract. That big-ass contract that got finalized after that other thing happened this uh, offseason? You remember that thing? That thing where Draymond Green punched Jordan Poole on camera? Giving Poole a bunch of money and leverage organizationally? Only to have him squander it by having a terrible fucking regular season and somehow a worse postseason? I think he has value because if he's out on the floor, you have to cover him because he might shoot it and he might get hot. But that's a lot of money for a decoy. And we talked about this before on this podcast. Not this part. Should, should Jordan Poole sue Draymond? Or should the Warriors sue Draymond? Either way, Draymond's gone. We've talked about this for a while. Um, they've been bound on the road all year. I think Jordan Poole thinks it's going to become an albatross as far as team building. They're not going to wreck Draymond Green. The rumors out there are Draymond Green to Phoenix because uh, the new owner is a Michigan State guy. And judging how he wants to comport himself around Jokic, he might need someone on his squad who can fight. Look at the Lakers, man. I So going into Sunday... I was most convinced that the Nuggets were going to win the title because they were the only team that had looked like a championship squad. After watching the Warriors flail aimlessly against the Lakers on Saturday, I'm convinced I can up it to two teams that look like championship squads if with the asterisks of the Lakers every other game. The Celtics, I'd put an asterisk of you don't know when they're going to look like it, and they may never, but when they do, it's awesome. And then that's about it for me in the East. Like the huge asterisk in Miami is, is Jimmy Butler going to break your back? And <laughs> what gets me is we all see it coming. The teams see it coming and no one seems to be able to stop it. So that makes me nervous in the East. But in the West, like 
until Saturday, the only team I thought playing at a consistent championship level was the Nuggets. And then, obviously, my disappointment was the way they played and kind of finished out things in Phoenix on Sunday brings me back to the Lakers. Because if they can close things out tonight, they can get it to 3-1. We're going to start a lot of slow singing and flower bringing in Oakland. Because say what you about LeBron James and the fact that he is, believe, 1-4 in, in playoff series against a 1-3 in, in playoff series against Steph Curry. That one's still the greatest comeback of all time in basketball. That one carries a lot of weight. But this one might close the door on a dynasty. Before we get to WWE WrestleMania Backlash, live from Puerto Rico, I want to give a shout out to who I think remains, unquestionably, the greatest basketball player of my lifetime. I'm 38, seven years old, to be 38 this summer. I lived through Jordan, lived through Kobe. Deep down, I'm an Iverson guy. But LeBron James is the best to do it. We're near 20. And on Saturday after the game, they asked him about something that what didn't happen on the court, something that didn't happen in the playoffs. It was his son, Bronny, committing to USC. Fair or not, LeBron James Jr. has been in the spotlight since he picked up a basketball. If you've ever followed even the, the most high level of dra- recruiting kind of information, there was a good stretch there where people were saying that he was overrated, he was coasting on his name. Well, closing out his senior season at Sierra Canyon, he elevated to that much-coveted five-star spot and then be headed to USC in the fall. They asked LeBron about this in the postgame, and he said, no matter what happened out there tonight, I won today because my son is the first member of our family to go to college. And in my lifetime, the idea of going to college has changed a lot. But the weight, the gravity of LeBron James, who ne- who publicly has decried his not lack of a college experience. I don't know, man. The millions of dollars, I'm sure, helped him sleep very well as an 18-year-old. But I think it's fantastically cool that LeBron James, the best basketball player, basketball player we've ever seen, is so committed to education, not just at home with his kid and the celebration of his going to college, but also with the uh, the I Promise schools in Akron, the things that he's doing. And, um, yeah, best we ever see do it. And uh, none of his kids are dating the ex-wives of former teammates. So if you got a tie there, there's your trump card. All right, if you don't want to talk about the greatest thing on the planet, that's fine. God bless you for listening. I'll be back later this week with the Wednesday something. But if you do want to hear about it, oh, I want to tell you about it. Because on Saturday, WWE WrestleMania Backlash kicked off live from Puerto Rico. This is a rarity because very rarely are they taking these big stadium shows outside of the United States. We saw it happen last year with Class of the Castle. We saw it happen just now with Puerto Rico. We see it happen far too often with um, the Saudi Arabia shows, which, again, I still don't watch. But I'll say this. 
if the idea to continue increasing the value of the WWE is to spotlight it internationally, bravo. Because you think you've heard of fans go crazy. But the noise they made when Bad Bunny came out for his match against Damian Priest. I got hit to Bad Bunny a couple years ago because I'm an old person, one. And two, I'm like set in my ways on what I listen to. But the most streamed artist is nothing to sneeze at. And in his hometown, he was God. I've been in buildings with a lot of big pops. I've seen a lot of big pops on television. That was something I've never seen before. If they want to do 12 WrestleManias, they could probably do 12 stadium shows in Puerto Rico and call it a win. Let's go through the card really quickly. Um, actually, I have no one to talk with, with this about. Susan tolerates my wrestling love, but she does not share it. She loves going to live shows, but if I'm just like, did you see that plancha? She couldn't care fucking less. So you guys are trapped with me now. So, first match of the night, they kicked it off with Bianca Belair versus EO Sky. Two of my favorite female talents in the last probably five years in WWE. Uh, EO Sky obviously coming from other uh, promotions overseas. But Bianca Belair is literally the crown jewel of their developmental system. You say, who have they produced that could carry things? Brother, I, I imagine you should not go to the alumni list and be very impressed. Roman Reigns is 100% pure performance center uh, procreation, and Bianca Belair is as well. So is Charlotte Flair. It is a thing that they can point to these massive talents and say, this worked, and here's why. And watching her work with EO Sky, it says, oh, this worked, and it's accessible enough where other people can come in, learn the intricacies of this style, and make it work for themselves. It was a fantastic match. If you were a fan of either woman in NXT, particularly EO Sky, this is her getting that shot to show everything she could do on the main stage in front of a very hot crowd to kick off a show, and I couldn't have been happier for it. Storyline stuff is interesting, but we'll just keep it to the matches that happened. <coughs> Excuse me. Next up, they started building the anticipation. We had Benito on the screen talking to Rey Mysterio, Savio Vega showing up, giving him a kendo stick with the Puerto Rican flag. They're just milking this crowd for every bit of anticipation that they're worth. Really well done. Next up was almost in South Rollins. I was one of those people who kind of poo-pooed this match. I thought there was no build. I thought there was no interest. I'm not one of you almost folks who thinks that just because he's big, he's going to be entertaining. But I'll be damned if he did not put on a show on Saturday night for the folks in Puerto Rico. He was able to very easily get over as a heel, just assaulting Rollins during the fan favorite parts of his entrance. I, I underestimated almost, I underestimated the work he'd been putting in. When people like Kevin Nash and uh, Undertaker tell you that this is going to be one of the next big, talented big men, you should probably listen to them. Seth, of course, could get in a wrestling ring with me and put on a four-star. He put on a four-and-a-half-star with almost. It looked fantastic. Uh, the triple, the, the super stomp to close it all out, not only put over Seth as someone who can overcome, but to put over almost, almost as a, uh, a real threat to anyone he steps in the ring with. Did good work for both uh, characters, advanced them both, and got the whole San Juan crowd singing his song at the very end. Next up, we had the Austin Theory, Bobby Lashley, Bronson Reed match. It's so weird that looking at like the breakdown of this card, on that. that's clearly the cooldown match. That's clearly the take a breath match. And I really hope that these three talents get a more opportunity to get to showcase what they can do. I'm I the Austin three game Austin Theory, excuse me, gimmick has grown on me over the year. It's been doing it. Um Bobby Lashley's Bobby Lashley. I think he's just a fantastic plug in the talent. And I think Bronson Reed could have something real, real here. Um, he left uh, New Japan 
and a program with their champion. He, he beat Okada and he decided to come back to WWE and I'm glad he did because uh, his body type is something you don't see a lot in their television these days, especially doing things like that's big splashy hits. And then um, he's a great base for the, a lot of the younger, smaller talent that they've even brought in recent years and they're bringing up recently with the draft. Uh, Zelina Vega and Rhea Ripley for the WWE SmackDown Women's Championship. It was never not going to be Rhea going over. Let's all just disabuse ourselves of maybe they left the Puerto Rican group. Come on. It's not Vince, but it's still Vince. But Zelina Vega came out over his rover, decked out in the Puerto Rican colors, uh, had the fans just completely behind her. If you're talking about building a one-month baby face and giving her a real profile that you can build storyline off of, this is how you do it. This is how you say, hey, the hometown girl's not going to get the win, but we're going to build a lot of sympathy. She's going to be a fantastic babyface that's going to transcend one night in Puerto Rico. I hope they really do uh, make the most of it. Love for hitting the Meteora. Shout out to her husband, um, Malachi Black. Next was the actual main event. I know that they closed the show with Cody and Brock, but go watch this match. Bad Bunny, Damian Priest, San Juan Street Fight. What makes it a San Juan Street Fight? Just like every other street fight in wrestling, except it's happening in San Juan. It was awesome. Again, I can't overstate the size, caliber, and importance of a star that is Bad Bunny. That Bad Bunny was throwing working punches better than like 40% of the roster is a little embarrassing. But you can tell this is something he loves, something he cares about, something he's excited to be doing. A lot of times in older years, you see guys get involved or obviously trying to promote something or Snooki doing a WrestleMania match. But between... Jake Paul or Logan Paul, whichever Paul it is, you guys look the same, I'm sorry. But between the Paul and Benito, like, these are guys who apparently are real deal dyed-in-the-wool wrestling fans. You had Bad Bunny on television talking about the best thing in his life last year was wrestling at WrestleMania. This guy shows up in Puerto Rico to shoot a music video, doesn't tell anyone, and they shut down eight city blocks. It's absurd. And you got him taking Falcon Arrows off of equipment through tables. You got him getting hit with chairs. Shout out to Damian Priest, who they clearly trust and put a lot of faith in because he worked with him in the tag match at WrestleMania a few years back. And while he's doing those big bumps, going through tables, going through scaffolding, they trusted Damian Priest to protect him. And breaking the largest celebrity on the planet in his hometown would be horrible PR. I think similarly, keeping him safe should be just as good PR. So shout out to... Everyone involved in this match. I'm not sure. They're still leaking out who the producers were on each one of these. But um, if it's who I heard it was, welcome back to the WWE. And um, that's a hell of a first match. It's the producers who I think it is. Um, another hot match that actually became a cooldown match was Sami Zayn, Kevin Owens, Matt Riddle versus the Bloodline, Jimmy J and Solo. It was a fine match. They worked a little slow. They knew what their purpose here was. But I'll tell you this. They were able to continue the storytelling beats that have made the Bloodlines storyline in the last 18 months the most compelling in professional wrestling for perhaps the past 20 years. I, uh, I'm excited to see what happens next with them. We're past the draft. We're on to the next phase of the storytelling. And we're going to see the splinters in that foundation continue to crack. On the other side, hey, those are three Raw talent. They're going to be very a lot of fun on Raw. Excited to see what they do with Sammy and Kevin. Excited for the eventual betrayal. Excited for Kevin to get tired of Matt Riddle. Um, and lastly, we had the main event. We had Cody Rhodes, the American Nightmare, taking on Brock Lesnar. This crowd popped for both of them. And part of it was 
Cody doing the, what do you want to talk about Puerto Rico on Friday night in Spanish? Part of it was the fact that Brock Lesnar is a draw anywhere in the world. But a lot of it was also the uncertainty of how they're going to book Cody following his schmatzy loss at Mania. We're going to continue to build him or let him go forward. There's a lot of time, a lot of uncertainty in the match. They busted Brock open. The crowd loved it. I love the fact that they only used the, the color, if you will, or the paint or the blood in the match in this match and not in any of the other ones. They showed a lot of restraint there in booking. Some other places wouldn't do the same. So it mattered more. Um, the way it ended protecting both Cody and Brock, bravo. And if there's anyone who's seen the off-camera stuff post-match of the, the crowd really loving up on Brock, this is a crowd that deserves more premium live events. They deserve to be catered to more. They deserve to, to be taken care of more. They deserve to have more of their talent featured and more of their people featured in the audience. That was a fantastic event. Uh, I'm excited for AEW's doing all in, I believe, in Wembley. They've already sold over 66,000 tickets. That's a crowd that's been underserved by mainstream professional wrestling. So it's going to be super interesting as these companies hit growth projections and set new ones. How are they going to achieve that? I'm glad they're achieving it by branching out. I hope that they can branch out and also, I don't know, maybe make these guys employees, not independent contractors. But that's just me. That's just my thoughts on the matter. Really excited for Monday night's basketball games. Really excited for the rest of these here playoffs. And excited again for your Wednesday something coming out later this week. That was your show. Monday flagship in the books. There is no outro. See you guys later this week.